Merry Christmas to you. Uh, don't you love this season? I, I do. I love it. And I love it because it gives me op- opportunity, like a lot of different opportunities to express my love for Jesus to people who are asking questions and trying to figure out the season and struggling with all kinds of other stuff in their life. And I get to step into it. And I know many of you stepped into it this last week. And if you were one of those people who um, either gave gifts or were giving out the gifts in person on Monday when we had over 2,000 gifts given here, or in another event, maybe a Christmas party that you had with work or whatever, and you were just expressing Christ, let me just say how grateful I am to be your partner in ministry here in this place where we get the joy of expressing our love for the Lord. Um, I want you to turn your Bible open to Matthew chapter 1. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. And we're looking at the very beginning of it where Matthew is going to tell the story of Jesus. And before we get there, I want to um, give you one verse from the book of John and its description of who Jesus is. John 1.16 says this, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I'll let that just seep in for a second. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And if there's one thing to walk away from this message with, one verse of scripture, it's that one. So we're going to say it together so it kind of digs into your brain a little bit. I know some of you, this is helpful, so for the rest of us, we'll put up with you. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, and if you're an Awana person, help me out, right? Okay, ready? One, two, three. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Yeah, that's good, because you could read it. So now we're going to take that off. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Got it? Good. Okay, Fritz, you're on it. Great, thanks. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, here's the passage found in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. If you have your Bible, turn there. It'll be on the screen so you can stick it. I just think it's really helpful for us. If you have it on your phone or wherever you might carry it around with you, just to have Scripture in front of you as we read. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken By the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. 
but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Many of you are aware that there are, in the New Testament, there's four accounts of the life of Jesus. Um, They're all very different. They all are um, not just compatible, but they're complementary. Mark, in Mark's gospel, he gets, I think, just so excited about telling us about the works and the words of Jesus that he just skips the Christmas narrative altogether. So if you're looking for the Christmas story and you turn the book of Mark, you're like, what? What, what? what happened here? You won't find it there because Mark's emphasis is different. In the book of Luke, you'll get more details than any other book. Part of it because Luke was a doctor, right? So he's into the birth thing. And he wants us to know the details of it and all the details surrounding it. So it's in Luke that we see the story of the shepherds. It's in Luke that we get this perspective of Mary, what was going on in her heart, the journey that she went through. Um, We also get the story in the temple later on where Anna and Simeon are there. So that's Luke's story, and um, Luke's great at the details. And if you have a friend who's never read the Christmas story and they want to just jump in, um, don't start them off in the book of Leviticus. I would just say, Start them in the book of Luke because it tells the story, and if they've ever heard any part of the Christmas narrative, it'll make sense, and they'll start to get it. And then um, there's Matthew. And Matthew tells a different perspective, right? He starts with a genealogy where most people are just like, okay, yeah, that's it. I can't. What in the world is that? List of long list of names. But he's got a very specific purpose in why he's telling us the list of names, right? is to help us understand the story of God. That all these happened, through all these generations, God was at work. And he had a divine plan, and he was going to bring his very son. It had always been part of his plan. And that genealogy is connected to his identity, too, that he was part of the royal line, part of David's line. So Matthew is going to connect the dots for us that all of the things in the Old Testament that were spoken of by the prophets were going to come true in Jesus. Matthew is a master at telling us that story and understanding. So the genealogy, actually, don't skip it. Think about it and try to figure out why Matthew was telling that and starting out. And for the the Jews that first got that gospel, it made a lot of sense to start there. But Matthew is also different in that he doesn't tell us so much Mary's perspective, but he speaks of Joseph's perspective on the whole thing and how he was wrestling through it. We don't have a whole lot on Joseph's life in the Gospels, but we do have this window into his life. And then there's the book of John. John doesn't tell us about the narrative of the birth so much as who was being born. He talks about the identity of Jesus. And um, this is the book. I love John, actually. And the first chapter of John is so fabulous. It's really profound and deep. And if you have a person who is in your life who is trying to understand who God is, and they're a thinker, I would encourage you to have them start in the book of John. Some of you were here. I know Maron's here, actually, this morning. um, And you were listening to his story uh, if you were here first hour last week when he was baptized and he was telling the story of how um, the way he came to faith in Jesus was uh, a pastor, a friend of his, told him to start reading the Bible. And so he started in Genesis. 
and he went all the way through the Old Testament. Some of you who have done this, you think, wow, how did he keep persevering? He kept reading all that, like in Leviticus and Numbers. He kept plowing through that, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then he got to the New Testament, and he started hearing and understanding who Christ was and God's great love for us, and he got to the book of John, where it makes this, a series of statements about the I am statements of Jesus. And he got to that statement where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, John 14, the life, and that made sense for him. And he came to faith, placed his faith in Christ. And if you have a friend like that, John is a great gospel. Well, in John's gospel, he tells us, he describes in chapter 1, the nature, the character of who Jesus was. He begins this way. In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God in the flesh. And then he describes what's happening. And then he comes to this interesting verse, verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace, that is the unmerited, unmeasured, unlimited love of God, piled on top of that, piled on top of that, It's like this little kid surrounded with all these presents, like this huge stack of presents. And you're looking at all these presents, and you've got this little, you know, your heartbeat's accelerated, and you're thinking about this on Christmas Day, and you're thinking about all this great stuff, and you can't imagine opening it all and all the stuff that you've gotten. And that's the picture, the imagery that he's using, God's grace which we talk about a lot in here because it's like the core of what God has done for us and what draws us to relationship with him, that he would forgive us and love us. A guy like me, a guy like Johnny, a guy like any one of us, regardless of what we've done, he would draw us in relationship. And not only that, but he would keep giving these gifts of grace to us, piled on top of one another. So John uses that imagery in verse 16, and it comes from somewhere. Where does it come from? All this grace that he's given you and me. It comes from his fullness, John says. He's just actually said earlier in that first chapter that Jesus was full of grace and truth. It like was packed into his character and overflowing out of who he was. These things, grace and truth, flowed out of him naturally, out of his character and out of his being. And now here he is in the flesh, Jesus himself, who is going to express this grace to us. Last week when we saw those baptisms, when people understand the nature of God's grace and they open up the gift, they receive it from the Lord and they open it up and they discover how sweet and rich it is and they respond to him in faith and enter in a relationship That's what happens in baptism. They tell their story about how they've crossed the line and come to faith and come to pursue Christ in their life. That's the power of what baptism is. And if you've never experienced that, if you've never come to that place, Christmas is about this, calling you into relationship with him so that you might understand that God is a God of love and he piles grace upon grace upon grace. I had this privilege on Friday night of being with Shrikanth and Beatrice and the Indian Fellowship, and you guys, you guys knocked it out of the park. You did such a great job on Friday night. They invited a bunch of their friends, and you know they've done this for several years. Some of you are not familiar with this, what they do, but God put it in their heart to um, invite their friends and have and tell the story to the kids, 
have the little children like learn the nativity story. And many of these little children have nothing to do with Christian backgrounds or anything. They might come from Hinduism or their parents might be Sikhs or whatever. And um, they come, but they're friends of friends. And they come and the, the kids have learned these little dance moves and different things they do. And they tell the story in front of their parents, right? Because parents want to be there. They're all there with their cameras, with their phones, taking pictures, you know. And it draws them there and they have all this great food. And they're telling the story of God's grace upon grace. And I just thought, there's nothing more compelling than that, right? People need and hunger for the grace of God, and he piles it on. And that's the story of how John introduces the gospel story, that God actually came in the flesh to love us, and now I get to respond to that love. I get to communicate it to my neighbors. I get to be an example of the love of God to people around me at work or at school Wherever it might be, that's the call of God on my life. So whatever he has me doing, whether I'm just in my cubicle and I have a conversation with somebody next to me, or if I'm out towing trucks and I run across somebody who's in distress, whatever it might be, wherever God might take me this week, I have this opportunity, this calling my life, if I've received the grace of God, to give out the grace of God. Now, when we think about the whole Christmas narrative, we think about the big scheme of it. There are some themes. We've talked about them already right here. There is this great theme of hope that God does not leave us without hope, but he fulfilled his promises in Jesus Christ. And we talked about joy, that there is this, there is this reason why we sing joy to the world, right? It's because All the narrative is about sparking joy in us, that God would love us so much we could respond to that. And there is this narrative about peace, that God is bringing peace into a very unpeaceful world, my personal world and into this world itself. And there is this great theme about the love of God, the love of God for me and how he wants to use me to express that love. Christ himself was love in the flesh, in a manger. It's hard to get our minds around. God's greatest expression of love, but he's moving us to respond to that love. So what does that look like? One of the reasons why I love Matthew's account is that it tells the story of Joseph. And you might not have thought a whole lot about this, but can you imagine yourself just for a moment in that setting as this guy who is betrothed to Mary in the culture, first, first century. Um, they were, it was an arranged marriage, no doubt. So um, some of you I know have experienced it in the room. You were, you were part of an arranged marriage, and it actually worked out great. I've heard some great stories about this, and some of you think that's a little odd because you don't come from that kind of culture. But it, um, there's some dynamics that were going on in Joseph's life. And then, of course, he discovers, and we don't know exactly how it happened, but he discovers that the one he's been promised to, and actually his parents paid a bride price for, and he was committed. And in that culture, it was just like being married. He discovers that his intended is pregnant. How would you respond? I'm sure that he was filled with disappointment and loss of feeling like he was betrayed how do you respond to news like that? And how do you actually respond in a way that's right? This, 
they were considering marriage, and I think that there are, there are some layers to this that are helpful for us to understand. During this betrothal period, this the angel Gabriel, we're told in the book of Luke, comes to Mary and says, okay, you're going to have a child. And Mary says back to the angel, listen, my parents have told me about the birds and the bees. I don't think that's possible. And uh, the angel says, it's, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, whatever that means, right, for her. And Mary remarkably responds, okay, do whatever you need to do. I'm yours, God. It's, like, it's the faith of Mary that's so astonishing to us, profound. But for Joseph, he's receiving the news in a totally different way. <laughs> Joseph is looking forward to being married, and he's looking forward to establishing his family. And it's critical. There are a lot of critical nature things about this because um, the firstborn child for a man in that culture was critical. If it was a son, he was going to get all the inheritance. And one of the great things was that, that Joseph was going to be able to name his son in his family line. And the story, as it, as it weaves itself out, is going to take a lot of things away, a lot of expectations and hopes that Joseph had, and shift them completely. What bubbles to the surface in this season of life for Joseph is actually, I think, pretty revealing. So he discovers that his intended is pregnant. And he knows that he can't marry her because that wouldn't be right. And she's betrayed his trust. So he has actually a couple options legally in that time, in that culture. One is that he, and most often happen, that there would be a public shaming of this woman. So he could take his case before the the elders, before the people who were in legal standing and leaders of the community, and have her stand up in front of all the community and be accused of infidelity, of adultery, and uh, she could be stoned as a result. Certainly, she would be outcast from the community. Joseph, being a man of character, uh, that's part of the description of righteousness. He really wanted to do the right thing. He was going to just quietly divorce her, end the relationship, but do it quietly and protect her in a way that he could, although he's sure, I'm sure that he's still stung. Joseph makes this decision, and it's a difficult one. And it's a difficult one because he's going to give up a lot of his own reputation in the process. Unless God steps in, which is exactly what happens in the story, right? All these things weighing on Joseph, and I'm sure there's something else weighing on him. I think that he probably had already given his heart to Mary because they were going to be married, and he was going to have a bride. And so he's thinking about not just the wedding, but he's thinking about a relationship with her and a lifetime with her and a family with her. He's thinking about all the things in his future, and now all of a sudden things come crashing down. And then an angel comes to him and speaks into him. And I believe it's because God wanted to teach Joseph some really critical lessons that are really very significant to you this week. Here's the first one. That fear and love cannot thrive together. The message that the angel brings to Joseph is an interesting one when you think about it, when you read it. The angel says, Joseph, fear not. Which means, 
there was some serious fear going on inside, inside his life. And actually, if you read through the texts, the narratives of Christmas, that is not the only time where that message comes out, is it? There's several times where God sends spokespeople so he could speak into the lives of people to say, fear not. Fear, it keeps you holding on to past hurts. Fear keeps you from moving forward. It fosters unhealthy relationships. It wrecks your emotions. It sticks you in jobs that you don't like. It's a breeding ground for low self-esteem and lack of achievement. Fear happens because you feel like you're losing control or that you've realized that you're actually not in control and you don't know what to do about it. Here's the short answer to that from Scripture. You are not in control. Which is scary, right, when you think about it? But there's an answer from Scripture. God is in control. And that's better news than you being in control. Because he looks forward. He's sovereign. Because he loves you and is faithful in that love. Because he cares about what's happening in your life and he speaks into your fears. 1 John 1, 18-19 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. We're capable of love because he first expressed that to us and started getting after our fears. Love, it lets go of past hurts. Love takes risks and moves forward. Love is key to every healthy relationship you have. Love helps you thrive in who you are and what you're becoming. Love leads to life's greatest achievements. Love gives God control. I don't know what your fears are. I've got a whole bunch of them, actually. Um, when I was younger, I had, um, I had wrestled for a long time. I love to be in control. Don't you? At least to feel like you are in control. And um, one of our, my family members, who was very close to me, immediate family members, really struggled. And it caused in me this great fear of ever losing control of my emotions because they were struggling with mental health issues. And um, when that occurred and continued to occur, it sparked in me all these fears that I just tried to bury as opposed to say, you know what? God really needs to speak into this area of brokenness in my life, this fear of losing control. I don't know what brought you here Really, I know part of the family probably brought you here wanting to be at church. But I assume there are issues of fear in your life that are keeping you from being the kind of lover that God called you out to be. And if that's the case, you need to know that fear and love cannot thrive together. That God has to address those issues of fear in you. And with the first words, the angel says to Joseph, fear not. I think Joseph feared the opinion and reaction of others. He feared what other people might think if he got married to Mary. I think he feared for his heart that Mary would potentially betray him again. Because that's what it felt like had happened the first time. I think he feared for their future together and the future of their child. Would God provide? And God, 
took him on this journey to drive out the fears of his life. At the very beginning of the message, the angel appears to Joseph's heritage. He said, Joseph, son of David, start acting like it. Like have the kind of courage that David had. The kind of trust that trusts me when it gets squirrely, when it gets hard. Be that kind of person. Mary's the woman for you. Don't bend to other people's expectations. Have courage to trust me in this. This pregnancy, it's not what you think it is. It's of God. And you need to trust that and let go of all those other fears that you have. And the angel actually tells him the reason why this is so significant. Because and you, he says, and you shall call his name Jesus. That is, Yahweh, God, saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph needed to lay his fears aside. And that was hard. It's difficult, challenging. And it wouldn't get easier, actually. We're going to talk about that in a second for Joseph. But, but that was a big risk. And Scripture says that when he heard this word from God, he obeyed. He let go. And he obeyed, he trusted God. That was hard. It was hard because great love requires great sacrifices. And that's the second thing that's on your little notes, that great love requires great sacrifices. And you probably feel this, you know it, you intuit, right? When you, when you think about the things in your life where you've actually grown in your capacity to love, your ability and your practice of love, it happens when you start sacrificing. If you're married and you have kids, you know, first of all, when you first got married, that was um, a sacrifice. You, you gave up, willingly gave up some things in your life for better things, right? It was better God calling in your life. And then when you start to have kids or grandkids or some of you great grandkids in the room, it continues to call out for you greater sacrifices in your life. That's part of the journey we're on with parenting. But some of you, in fact, all of you know this to be true, that in order to have a relationship with God, you had to make some sacrifices. You weren't going to be just the pick and selfish person that you always were. You were going to give God control of your life. And that was better. That was far better. So God is going to teach Joseph this lesson. And the reality of the Christmas story is that every major character in the Christmas narrative makes giant sacrifices. Every character, think about it. The key characters. Who's the first key character? God the Father, okay? God the Father gives his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the giant sacrifice of God for you. Knowing that all kinds of people would reject him and ultimately put him on a cross to die. And people would do that over thousands of years, reject his son. But he still gave. It was the great sacrifice. Some of you who are believers and have been for a while, one of your favorite passages is Philippians chapter 2 because it speaks so profoundly to the nature and sacrifice of Jesus Jesus sacrificed. Are you kidding me? He enjoyed the riches of heaven, and then he comes down to that? (laughs) To a manger? 
and to this kind of life that God stepped into for our sake. And Mary sacrificed, right, her reputation, her future. She didn't know what Joseph was going to do with her. She made huge sacrifices. And Joseph did because of God's word to take her as his wife. Scripture calls him a righteous man, a man who actually wanted to practice following God and do the right things. And taking Mary would be that step in his life. Being righteous does not mean looking up in a rule book all the things you have to do and then just following those things, does it? True righteousness means wrestling with the complexities of a problem, listening for the voice of God, and then doing God's thing. True righteousness means wrestling with the complexities of the problem. It was complex. What Joseph was stepping into was squirrely, culturally, religiously, personally. There are all kinds of layers of complexity going on, emotional complexities going on for him. He chose to listen to the voice of God and then to do God's thing. So for Joseph, it didn't just stop with this one calling. Don't fear. This is of God. Take her to be your wife. But after that happens, and after they go to Bethlehem, which was a difficult journey in itself, right? And then they have this baby, in this manger, like the worst, I got this event, and you think, okay, well, that was such a huge step for him. Good on him. That was fantastic. But that's not where it ends, is it? God is going to keep pushing him. So then God comes to Joseph and says, listen, you need to flee to Egypt. Go have a conversation with your wife and go right away. So Mary, who's just given birth and has this infant son, Here's from Joseph, hey, hon, I think we need to just leave to go through like the wilderness, the desert for a long ways. It's a very difficult journey, and we're going to go to a place we've never lived before and see if we can scratch out a living there. Trust me on this, this is what God wants, right? That, that's a pretty hard conversation to have, and yet Scripture says that he obeyed him. That second time where he hears from God, he obeys him and does that very thing. And then after they've established themselves in Egypt and are raising the baby Jesus, then God comes to him a third time and says, now you need to move back, back to that same land where they slaughtered every child in pursuit of Jesus, your son, and you need to move back there. Every step, God's like ratcheting it up a little bit more for him because he's teaching him this lesson that Jesus didn't belong to him. He belonged to God. Just like your kids, they don't belong to you. They have been entrusted to your stewardship. They belong to God. And if you're a single person, your relationships, your friendships, relationships with your families, those people aren't your possession. They're God's possession. We're the caretakers of those relationships. So, He's being taught this lesson of giving up and sacrifice. And there's a third lesson God was teaching out in Joseph, and it's this, that love and trust are inseparable allies. We don't have much more information on Joseph's life. We don't know what happened. Did he exit the scene somehow? Did 
You know, when, when Jesus was a teenager, did he die? Um, why isn't he listed in the other accounts of what the miracles, when Mary pops up, or at the end when Jesus dies on a cross? Joseph, we don't get a record of him. That apparently wasn't for us to know. But what we do have is this remarkable account in Joseph that he's being taught how to trust, how to trust God and how to trust his wife, Mary. Mary needed that, didn't she? Elizabeth and Zachariah, they trusted her, but probably very few other people in life did. And Joseph needed to learn how to believe in his wife. And some of you are at that place. Can I say that freely as your pastor? You need to learn how to trust your spouse or your parents or your kids. And it's hard. He was going to be developing, God is developing in Joseph trust and trust in his word that every one of the words of God are trustworthy and true and I don't have to freak out or run the other direction but to to accept him. See, the Christmas story It wasn't just about bringing God to earth, although that happened. It was about bringing you to God. It was about bringing you to a depth of relationship with God that you do not enjoy, to a depth of trust, about teaching you how to be a great lover of people, just like Jesus was. So if that's true, and it's true that he longs to give grace upon grace in your life, then I'm wondering where he needs to prompt growth in us, in you, in me this week. Are you wrestling with fear right now that will inhibit your capacity to love? Because your neighbors and the people at work and people at school, this is the week they need to hear about Jesus. And if you've got all these fears about what's going to happen with that conversation or how could I possibly take this step, then you won't, and you won't experience God's love coursing through you. Perfect love, that is the love of God, drives out those fears. So call out to him that he would drive out that place of fear that's got you held captive. Right afterwards, there'll be people here that would love to pray for you and with you about that specific thing. But pray honestly before him. Is he leading you perhaps to a greater sacrifice? I can't answer that question. I know you're hoping not, right? Most of us, when we hear that challenge, we're like, please, I've already given enough to God. Not true, by the way. I can't outgive the love of God can't happen. I can't make a great sacrifice that he won't overflowingly give back to me grace upon grace. I don't have to live in fear of that. I need to say, God, bring that on. For your sake, bring it on. Perhaps that's where you're sitting this morning. You just need to say, God, bring on a greater challenge and sacrifice to me. And finally, let me ask, Is your issue a matter of trust? Is it that you're not trusting God until he brings an angel to speak to you? He's already given you his word. And he's already spoken to you personally. Our issue is trust often. So ask him to expand your trust for the sake of those people who need to experience the love of Jesus this week. 
Let me pray for you, please. God, can't possibly say thank you enough for your grace piled upon grace in our life. Thank you for your unmeasured, undeserved, kind love for us. And we do not want to leave here the same people we were when we got here. We want to grow in you and be challenged and sharpened in you. And I pray that you would. That our measure of trust in you would grow. That our willingness to sacrifice would grow. That you would drive out fear and help us to live holy for you this week so that people might know Jesus and experience the joy and the love that you've given. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.